Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to The Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Hi, I'm Mona Hagag. I'm Principal of Continuum Advisory Group, and today I'm with the research team PUI-01, entitled Protecting Business Value from the Impact of Regulations. This is part of our series on CII research projects. Today's discussion will be on identifying and evaluating the impact of regulations throughout the project life cycle. I am joined by two of the research team members. There was a larger research team that presented at the CII annual conference today on their findings. The discussion today uh, will focus on the really the research topic around infrastructure projects and operating assets and their impact by regulatory risks. The research study evaluated existing methods to proactively identify anticipate and mitigate the impacts of constantly changing regulatory requirements. With this information, electric utilities and other infrastructure owners can better prepare to adapt and respond to regulations throughout the capital asset life cycle. The original members of the team are Laura Brannon, who is the Government Affairs Manager for Bechtel, Ali Mustafavi, Ryan Stoa, Carzel Walton, who's Project Manager for Southern Company. So Ali, please introduce yourself and your role. My name is Ali Mustafawi. I'm an assistant professor with the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Texas A&M University, and I was one of the principal investigators on this project. I'm Ryan Stowe. I'm an associate professor of law at Concordia Law School in Boise, Idaho. I was also a principal investigator for the project. Great. So thank you for being part of today's discussion. I'd love to understand more about what was the impetus behind this project this research study, I should say. So basically, um, over the past many years, there's been a growing number of regulations, uh, different types of regulations, mainly, mainly environmental regulations that had impacts on construction industry and <clears throat> different sectors of the industry. And uh, this prompted CII to define this research project to better understand these impacts and also how companies can better deal and adapt to these uh, regulatory changes. And that was the motivation for this project. Absolutely. When we talk about business value, I think the big question is how much business value is impacted by regulatory changes? That's a lot uh, as a short answer and and the non-scientific answer. We, We attempted to investigate the sort of economic or quantifiable impact of regulatory uncertainty uh, on the economy or on these sectors uh, more specifically. And it's a very hard thing to do or to, to, to find a precise um, number. Uh, in our qualitative um, case studies and surveys, we did find across the board that companies found that regulatory changes are often highly disruptive and they don't necessarily have the toolkits or skill sets to adapt effectively. Um, we also, you know, sort of uh, conducted surveys in which we um, tried to determine specifically what percentage of 
um, companies felt that regulatory change was highly disruptive to their their capital projects. Oh, do you remember the figures for that? And uh, you know, the response that we got was between twenty to forty percent of the capital projects that you know different participants in our survey reported were affected by regulatory change. And if you look into the number of capital projects and their size, this uh, adds up to a large number. And speaking to um, Ryan's point on the difficulty of quantifying the impacts, which, which is significant, we can, we can say different impacts like disruptions in the schedule, reworking the engineering, you know, increased cost, the schedule delays, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, these are impacts that are disruptive and definitely has, has caused. But speaking to the difficulty of quantifying that, uh, actually, you know, when uh, regulators do um, uh, uh, cost-benefit analysis for different regulations, you know, they make a lot of assumptions. And usually the, the regulated entities and trade associations, you know, they feel that they underestimate the cost and they overestimate the benefits. So when we look into certain regulations like the silica standard, we looked at one cost benefit analysis that was uh, done by OSHA, one that was done by uh, a trade association and totally different numbers. And it just comes down to the assumptions that are made and you know the, the factors that were considered and not considered. So it's extremely difficult to uh, to put an exact value, but as Ryan mentioned, the, the, the value is significant, and that's a short thing. It's significant enough that I think a lot of companies self-identified as having this as one of their primary challenges internally. Um, and really being, as Ali mentioned, the impetus for this research project that uh, companies in, in these sectors felt like um, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't have the, the best practices or the know-how to, to adapt to this rapidly changing regulatory landscape. So that's interesting. So uh, I, I recall when the research study was proposed to the Power Utilities and Infrastructure Committee and CII, that there was discussion of this, uh, this concept of future-proofing. Can you talk a little bit more about what future-proofing is and why that's useful? So basically, the concept of future-proofing um, uh, is... is uh, for for dealing with uh, uncertainty uh, that is hard to predict, which is the case in the regulatory space. So basically, it uh, recognizes that we cannot predict the future, and uh, to deal with this evolving, unpredictable future, we need to adapt and we need to uh, constantly uh, develop uh, you know strategies and paths of actions. To, to act on as things evolve. So basically, this is a fundamental premise of um, uh, future-proofing. When, when you look at it from a regulatory perspective, this is uh, looking at, uh, you know, this is not something that you can predict and can for sure know what would be the, uh, the, the final regulation and its requirements. Right. The, the concept of future-proofing is about being proactive. Okay. It's about um, you know having an adaptive approach rather than setting a contingency plan and say okay whatever happens we'll do this. Right. It's about at each point in time based on the information available you know and based on available uncertainty develop a path of action as and as new information becomes available change that path of action right. and do the actions at appropriate time to minimize the regrets in the future and that's. Again, the, the essence of future proofing is being proactive rather than being reactive. Okay. 
So that's yeah. interesting. Okay, go on, Greg. I was just going to say, I still I remember early on in our research project when um, Ollie brought up this concept of, of future-proofing, I think. He was mentioning that this has caught on in other industries as sort of a framework to, to view you know, resilient adaptation and that it hadn't yet really caught on in the power utilities or infrastructure or construction sectors, um, but that it had a lot of potential. And I think that idea uh, really resonated with the research team and, and we were in, enthusiastic about adopting it. Absolutely. I've heard a lot of dialogue around organizational agility, which sounds like it's, it's pretty analogous to what we're doing here. Exactly. It's about flexibility. It's about resilience. It's about agility. Uh, it's about being proactive. Absolutely. Scanning and perceiving your environment, uh, testing, uh, you know, having a strategy around it, all those key components. Absolutely. So you developed a, a, a framework, if you will, and, and it was broken down into these eight areas of process, know-how, implementation, having a process map, key actions, and good practices. It's a pretty exhaustive list here. I'm very much interested in, in how those break down and the importance of the process map that you developed as part of the study. So the process map is is the backbone of what, what we did. So when we started our project and we... Um, thought about this future proofing. I said, okay, is there a framework or a process for regulating future proofing in the construction industry? And given the extent of the challenge, we thought that there should be, and we did an extensive review of uh, scholarly literature, available you know, reports, and surprisingly, we didn't find any. Right. And um, to better understand and improve a process, you know, we have to model it first and see that what is future proofing, what would be a model for future proofing, which in, by model, I mean representation of it as a series of actions and steps. Right. And the process map model exactly does that. It maps every actions and decision points and steps that needs to be taken at different points in time in the life cycle of regulatory development process um, and uh, identifying the relationship between them. You know, a, a key characteristic of regulatory future proofing is its nonlinearity, which means that right. it's not a sequential thing that you do this first and then do this and do this. It's iterative. It goes back and forth from different tasks and we identified five important elements for future proofing process, um, namely horizon scanning, uh, stakeholder engagement, risk and opportunity assessment, response to strategy development, and compliance implementation. And uh, we map every step of the way for each of these and the relationship between them. So it provides a really powerful visual model that uh, help people understand what this thing that we call regulated future proofing is and what it entails. So it's basically, as the, as the name suggests, it's a map for implementing the process. Absolutely. What I really like about the process map is that it's adaptable mm -hmm. as well um, and can be sort of retrofit to a company's internal processes so we didn't design it to be there's a static process and this has to be the way that your company does it but you can you know we sort of took some key aspects of what we liked from a lot of different sources you know one company's flowchart on communication another um, institution's research on horizon scanning and try to fit a lot of these best practices or good practices into the process map in a way that was logical across several different dimensions. And it was, it was really hard to put together 
Um, but I think now that we have it, it, it can be a useful tool um, for companies to, to sort of modify and adapt to their internal procedures. I think we also <clears throat> put together um, our sort of pillars of future-proofing um, or our good practices. And these are just sort of intended, you know, the, the process map in, in a way is, is very complex, you know, reflecting the complexity of the regulatory landscape. But, you know, with our pillars, we want people to keep in mind a few cross-cutting themes or major points. Um, so we identified four. Um, the first one is uh, starting early, being proactive. Um, you know, Ollie mentioned that this is a key element of future-proofing. Um, it's too late to adapt to a regulation if you're waiting for the final rule to be published. You need to start earlier. Um, the second is uh, right-sizing resources or investing in resources. Um, we talk about, you know, in our, in our guide and in the process map, one of the sub-processes um, is regulatory horizon scanning. That just means that companies need to be um, dedicating resources to looking out for what's coming down the pipeline, both threats, risks, and opportunities. Um, we spoke with one company, uh, uh, quite a large company in the power sector that only had uh, one person tasked with doing regulatory horizon scanning um, across you know, the company as a whole. What we found is that that, generally speaking, is not going to be enough. Um, another pillar um, was communication. Uh, you know, we found that one of the key lessons from this project was everybody has a role to play in, in regulatory adaptation or in future proofing. It's not just for your uh, government affairs people or your executives. Um, it's not just for the law firm that you work with, that everybody is affected by regulations and needs to be in, in communication about that. And the final piece, the fourth pillar is, is to continue to evolve and to not see this as a, a, a finished product or finished state or never arriving always kind of becoming something else and becoming something new. Absolutely. When you say right-sizing resources, I, I can understand for a very large organization that's working across multiple sectors, uh, one, having one person doing that horizon scanning might not be sufficient. But if you're a mid-sized contractor, for example, and you know that the regu regulations coming down are going to impact your strategies or your business, uh, your, your income stream, if you will, or your revenue stream, uh, what are some quick ways or, if you will, um, repositories of information that people should be reading or have access to? Yeah, there's a few different ways to think about this. Um, and we you know, tried to, to determine which is the better approach, having a team of folks dedicated, dedicating you know, 100% of their time to horizon scanning or asking you know, 100 different people in the company to spend you know, 5% of their time doing horizon scanning. And we'll know that we came up with a definitive answer to that question. I think it really depends on the company. So I think if companies prefer to, uh, you know, create a dedicated horizon scanning infrastructure, I think that's great. If, on the other hand, they want to ask people as part of their job description is to spend some time uh, looking at and, and being in touch with their networks and their resources to, to see what's coming down the pipeline, I think that can be effective as well. We also found um, that trade associations can be really helpful in this regard, especially for uh, smaller companies that may not have the in-house resources. Um, if they're engaged in trade associations and members of those trade associations, they might have a better ability to communicate with them uh, what risks and opportunities are coming down the pipeline. Absolutely. So one of the key, you know, um, 
understandings or key outcomes from this project. Uh, you know, from my perspective, is I think the regulatory future proofing can make a paradigm shift in in the industry in terms of not only for the regulated entities or companies to better adapt, but also I think it will change the interactions. Right now, the dynamics is that regulators, you know, make the regulations, develop the regulations, and there's, you know, um, you know the, the regulated entities um, don't like it. And, you know, there is this dynamics that makes the process ineffective and it's yeah. reactive, uh, you know, the, through the future-proofing process, you know, I think the interaction of the regulated entities with regulators will improve. Um, one of our um, uh, interesting findings is how this future-proofing can help companies to provide data to regulators to improve their, um, you know, uh, engagement and also have evidence-based data not just opinions that hey you know this is um this is not a good regulation because it will increase our cost rather than that say that hey the available technologies we have tested they will not help us achieve these you know emission reduction targets that are in the regulation that's the information that regulators need so for example for silica standard um you know we talked to osha people and they said that they didn't have enough data about the current levels of exposures uh, in um, different types of you know job sites and also the efficacy of different uh, exposure reduction solutions and um, approaches and they did pilot testing in a number of you know uh, job sites themselves with collaboration with some companies to gather that data companies have that data right right by future proofing and having this mindset of future proofing you know they can communicate that data and i think through this process over time regulators become more um, familiar with processes in the construction industry and how regulated entities are impacted and at the same time you know you know, these regulations always have good intentions behind them, right? Right, absolutely. So, and, and most of companies have this corporate, uh, you know, social responsibility as part of their, you know, values. And they want to, you know, do things that benefit the health of people or environment. So I think this future-proofing model can make a paradigm shift to make this ecosystem work more smoothly and have win-win situation both for regulators and for, uh, for regulated entities. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I think there is a, a perception review out there that um, you know, on one on on the one hand, you know, regulated entities are always trying to uh, get out from under regulations or not comply with regulations or kill a regulation before mm -hmm. it becomes law. Um, and on the other hand, you know, regulators are just trying to impose on industry and don't really care about their perspectives. I think, you know, that's too simplistic of a, of a view. I think the reality, for, you know, what we learned from this project is that companies are doing their best to, to be in compliance. They want to be in compliance, uh, but that regulatory change at the rate that it's coming is still disruptive. And, and on the flip side, you know, regulators want to know that and they want evidence. Um, but you know, as Ali mentioned, regulators know that every regulation is going to have winners and losers. So just saying, well, we're going to lose out from this regulation isn't going to be compelling. But you know, 
regulators were often saying, we're, we're begging for you know this data. Give us evidence that you can achieve our regulatory objective in a different way, and, and we'll hear you out on that. Absolutely. Uh, the current mindset, you know, it was a great point, Ryan. The current mindset on their regulator side is that the companies complain, but they figure out how to do that mm-hmm. later. And yeah. then from regulated entities is that they don't understand our processes and, you know, they underestimate the costs, mm-hmm. okay? And that's, you know, two different, you know, way of thinking that the, doesn't surprise us why, you know, these disruptions and these, you know, in, in, in efficient, you know, interaction exists. So that's why I, I strongly believe that by, you know, having this future-proofing mindset and by improving this engagement, this communication, this data, you know, um, uh, evidence, uh, this can improve all these perceptions about, you know, uh, from the regulators that, hey, we are not, you know, reactive, you know, they are constantly adapting. And we've seen companies that, you know, uh, before, let's say, Silica Standard went into effect, you know, they already had adopted, you know, uh, exposure reduction measures. And it was awesome. And on that was one end of the spectrum. They, they had, you know, uh, viewed, you know, the, the trend that the, the silica and the impacts and, you know, uh, the increased risk of cancer and all of that. And they started adopting measures. And the other extreme, we saw companies that after the silica standard was uh, in effect and we had two years to, or one year to comply, they just started, okay, let's gather data and see how much exposure we have in our, in our job sites. Right? So and the, the, that, that extreme is what uh, you know, uh, our companies that probably will see most of the impacts. That's very interesting. So if you were to direct somebody to a resource on how to, to implement future proofing in their organization, um, I'm guessing you'd point them to the research study, but it also sounds like that process map is going to be a really valuable tool. Yeah, the process map is, is part of our uh, regulatory future proofing for the construction industry, which is a guide that is available on CIA knowledge base. It's, it's available as of today, and it's the first of a kind guide, you know, we did extensive scanning of available material and across the world. There's nothing like that exists. And this is a first guide specifically for the construction industry with specific examples of regulations that affect the construction industry with case studies uh, that help uh, companies relate to you know, the key actions that we identified. So it's available and process map is a part of it and the description of process map is part of it. So uh, uh, you have the visual of the process map, the description of it with examples of some good key actions that some companies did and some, you know, uh, uh, examples that companies did not take those key actions and the uh, disruptions that they experienced. Interesting. Well, this sounds like a very valuable uh, resource and uh, just a fantastic study to hear more about. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I just I'll finish my concluding thoughts by saying that we found um, that um, companies are on a spectrum when it comes to uh, regulatory future proofing. Um, and you know, my colleague Carzel mentioned this in our talk today. 
know, nobody's doing it perfectly. Uh, we didn't come across one company and which said, oh, they're, they've got all the best practices and we'll just learn from them. You know, everyone had areas of weakness that, you know, they self-identified and, and you know, knew they needed to work on. Um, so I think this is an area of potential growth and an opportunity for a lot of companies to think about where they are weak when it comes to regulatory adaptation and how they can improve on that. And I think the tools that we developed for this research project are, are aimed at helping companies do that. Great. Well, thank you both for your time. I appreciate having you and look forward to hearing more about how organizations have implemented this research study in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution pod brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Built Revolution Pod or email us at hello at builtrevolutionpod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.